0: Did you know that the cause of health issues with so many dogs is their food? That was so astounding for me to find out because I tend to think my dog Mojo eats pretty well. Until I really researched the ingredients. And actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more health issues with dogs than ever before. So she decided to create something she could actually feel good about feeding her dogs. It's called Superfood Complete. Superfood Complete is made with over 30 of the healthiest ingredients on the planet, including several superfoods vital to your dog's health. I actually love giving Mojo this as a topper. It's like an extra treat for him. And I feel good that there are no fillers and it's air dried, so it retains more nutrients. Dogs across America are trying this food and experiencing amazing health benefits. And so can your fur baby. Go to Badlands Ranch slash Dateable and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular price order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S ranch.com slash D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E today. The datable podcast features real stories from real people of how they make modern dating work or not. I'm your host, Yue, former dating coach turned dating insider, if you will. On each episode, you'll hear commentary from my producer, Julie Krafchick, and other surprise co-hosts. This episode of datable is brought to you by 500 Brunches, Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. And when it comes to modern dating, we're always looking for tips and advice to see how other people have done it, to see what creates the most successful dating outcomes. And what better way to do that than to talk to someone who's been there, who's been on the coaching side of dating. We have DJ. Hi, DJ.
1: Hi, you guys. How are you?
0: Oh, good. So, DJ, I know you were part of the pickup community before. How did you get into that?
1: Sure. Um, Well, I got on. So the whole uh, obviously, you know, nowadays with the the way the industry is, it's not something that, that, you know, that's kind of our background. That's not something that we identify with right now. But I realize for a lot of you guys, for a lot of people listening, uh, a lot of people have a lot of preconceived notions about what the industry is. And, and there are absolutely scammers out there. There are absolutely bad people out there, but there are good people. So the, the main thing is, is I want to, you know, let the listeners know, you know, to kind of keep an open mind on that if they don't already have that. Um, I started in this as a student. And so 15 or so years ago, um, I was kind of the guy that, uh, couldn't make anything work. Like nothing was working for me, nothing was happening. Um, and so my entire life, I had tried to compensate for that, you know, my, my upbringing and my culture and, you know, everything had basically my parents always said, look, this is something you either have or you don't. And it was very evident to me that I was not one of the guys that had it. Uh, my parents even pretty much straight out told me like, Look, you're, you're you don't have a lot going for you, so you're gonna have to be really smart.
0: Can you be more specific when you talk about upbringing and culture?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm half Japanese, half Chinese, uh, and apparently there's a little bit of Korean mixed in. But uh, according to a DNA test, but my parents don't like to acknowledge that part. We so. all have a little Korean but, mixed in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a there's a lot going on there. Um, I'm fourth generation, so my parents have families been here for you know over a hundred years. Uh, but obviously we still retain a lot of the cultural values. So, you know, I grew up very much Americanized. I grew up in Southern California and, uh, you know, my, my parents pushed kind of your traditional Asian values of, you know, doing well in school, but they were, they were also Americanized enough to where, um, it wasn't, it wasn't really, really like, like, a, like traditional in that sense. So it was a little bit of a mix. You
0: have a theory about Asian men.
1: So the theory that I have in, in, and I've been coaching for about 10 years now, a little over actually, and the theory I have about Asian and by Asian, I mean, I'm encompassing Indian as well, uh, is that there's this, there's like a hidden or like a secret shame that we have. And if you have, you guys remember when Steve Harvey made that crack about Asian men, uh, deep down for almost every Asian guy listening, it was like very hurtful. Like, Can you,
0: you remind our listeners what he said?
1: Yeah, so Steve Harvey made a crack about uh, he found this book on Amazon, and the book was like "How to Date," how do think "How to Date White Women" or "How to Date Interracially for Asian Men"? And he made a joke about how uh, you can't, you just don't, because nobody likes you and nobody wants to date you. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically the joke. Um, I understand he probably wasn't trying to, you know, necessarily put people down. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to make a joke. The reason that it had such a big impact is there's a very large and pervasive hidden shame that Asian men and Indian men have because nobody understands our plight. Uh, Nobody other than black women really understand. And the reason is because, and this has been shown in study after study at UCI, at at Berkeley, I think. uh, The reason is that when it comes to dating, Asian men and black women are considered the undateables. They're considered the demographic that nobody wants to date for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of them specifically is Obviously, the media and another one is that uh, you basically have this kind of, you look back historically, you have this group of people, in this case, Asian people, and they say, hey, uh, you know, we will, don't worry about dating, only focus on career, mm-hmm. only focus on that. academia, focus on getting really good grades and, and, and getting a great job. Uh, we will get you guys set up with uh, with dates, and that's the arranged marriage, kind of your, your stereotypical arranged marriage 50, 100 years ago. And so everyone bought into this idea of, all right, good. We'll just study and do a good job and we'll get an arranged marriage or we'll be introduced or whatever, and that'll be good. And then, you know, somehow, somewhere in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, and Indian men especially identify with this, uh, they come to America and then it's like, oh, we don't do this arranged marriage thing anymore, but we still don't want you to focus on dating. So uh, just figure it out. Do something. Yeah. What do they realize something
0: without is, the tools that we have. Exactly. Yeah. Oh
1: God. Like now, what? Now, now, what do we do? Right. So that's why you get this like sense of being stuck now.
0: So I, I just want to backtrack for a sec back to Steve Harvey's comment. He pulled out a book called How to Date a White Woman: A Practical Guide for Asian Men, and he explained that the book should only have one single page asking white women, "Excuse me, do you like Asian men?" And the answer should be, "No, thank you." So that's, uh, you know, just to put a little context around that. So your background, DJ, really played into you wanting to get into the pickup community. So talk about you being a student in that.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't think anybody's, (laughs) it's funny, I don't think any of us want to be in the community uh, in the sense that, uh, you know, in the early 2000s when I found this, I didn't find it because this was cool. Uh, I didn't find it because, yeah, I wanted to be part of a community. I I found it because I was lonely. And the only guys that found it, this is like hidden in a deep recess of the web at that point. And you only found it if you were at your wits ends. Uh, if you were really looking hard for it because there weren't, there was no TV show and there was no movie and there, it wasn't advertised anywhere. Uh, this was a group of very, very lonely, uh, many times like emotionally or mentally handicapped guys that were existing on the internet and were trying to figure out how do we change our lot in life. And that's really what it came down to. And a lot of people think, the community is about all these guys trying to take advantage of women and and these guys are trying to be players and there is that segment but originally what this was designed as is rehab it it, it was a Mm -hmm. bunch of guys that had a huge problem and they were essentially undateable Uh, they were uh, the term now is involuntarily celibate which as you can imagine is not a great place to be uh, and so, our only goal at that point is how do we fix this? Because our family, our culture, society says you can't, you're just screwed. There's nothing you can do about it. And so, by getting into this, it was my way of, of, of going at this and saying, hey, how can I change this? What can I do about this? Because, you know, I, I went I, in high school, I, I played varsity sports, uh, thinking that would do something, didn't do anything. I went to the Marine Corps, thinking that would do something. That wasn't my main reason, but I thought in the back of my head that would help. Didn't help. The uniform didn't help. Being a sergeant didn't help. Uh, being in mixed martial arts did not help. Uh, I got out. I thought, oh, it m- must be money then. I got a six-figure job as a programmer. Uh, I bought a house. I bought a sports car. That's going to help. That's the key, right? That didn't work either. And eventually what I realized was there, nothing's working. Like It must be me. And so I went searching for, is there some way to compensate? Is Maybe there some way to fix me and that's kind of when I stumbled across this. And looking back 10 years later or 15 years later, what I realized was these are just social skills. And as much as people try to tell you social skills are when they want to believe, then social skills are not skills. They absolutely are. And if you didn't learn it growing up, you're at a severe social disadvantage now. And now you have to learn it later in life or don't learn it and, and let those consequences fall where they may.
2: Uh-huh.
0: So take us into this insider's view of your, you know, first time being, you know, in this pickup community, what if, what was that like?
1: Uh, it was really, it was really sad, to be honest. It was very sad. It was a mix of emotions. It was sad because you would show up to these meetings and you know, everyone, had, it, it's funny in pop culture, everyone has this like idea of like, oh, there's a guy with a furry hat and there's these guys like, <laughs> yeah. learning lines and like taking advantage, like no, it was really sad. Like you have a lot of guys who are autistic. You had guys in wheelchairs, you had a blind guy um, you had guys and the the one thing everyone like had in common, even though we 're from different walks of life and different cities and everything, is that everyone was intensely lonely and we had a lot of the things that come along with being lonely. some men were angry, some men were just hurt, some men were traumatized, some men were victims of abuse uh but everyone just had this unifying sense of being lonely, so it's very sad in that sense sounds like um, a support group
2: that is. Crazy because that is was. not the perception of pickup artists
1: at all. Well, correct. What was that sh-
2: the mystery game and mystery? And they painted a very different picture.
1: I mean, I understand that because we've done a lot of TV work, and uh, a lot of our TV work. At the end of the day, the producer comes right out and says, "Look, uh, what you guys do is really cool and it's very wholesome, but wholesome doesn't sell TV shows, mm. and it's not it's not good enough for TV."
0: But back to the pickup community. I mean, Julie just said our the stereotypical view of what the pickup community looks like is a bunch of slick yep. scam artists who are out there to you know, get as many one-night stands as possible. So what were you guys learning?
1: Were you learning these tricks? You know, it's funny because when, when I started this, the idea of a one-night stand was not something... It, not only was it not something we were going for, it was deemed impossible. Like, it was like, for us, it wasn't possible. It was It would never happen. We were just... Hoping a girl would talk to us, and that seems really sad, and it was when you when you look back on it, but we had no concept of even getting a phone number we had no concept of like kissing a girl, and most of us were virgins or near virgins and the idea of, of just being able i remember the story I tell students a lot is the first time I was able to start a conversation with a like a like an attractive girl in a bar and just talk to her for ten minutes and have her treat me like a human being, I celebrated that experience for like Three months. Wow. We all did. We all thought that was the greatest thing ever. Because for the first time, some stranger that we didn't know that was even attractive was treating us like human, like a human being.
0: Now, DJ, was this uh was this experience a product of being in the community? Did they teach you some of these
1: social skills? Uh when I got in, there was no one really teaching except for a couple of guys, and they were so new at, at the teaching process. Uh it was very much the blind leading the blind mm. uh, in, in most cases. And so A lot of it, we had some stuff, we were trading information, some of it was good, some of it was, most of it was bad. Um, We had a lot of misguided information out there, but a lot of it was, look, it it just gave us an excuse to go talk to people because most of us didn't have that level of courage. But if you gave us a hope and a dream that you could go and you could recite this like line and then maybe she'll like you and then you could talk to her and whatever, uh, that was all it took for a lot of us to at least get the initial courage to go up and talk. And that was something most of us didn't have in our in our childhood and our background. Nice. And so for me, that experience really wasn't any, there wasn't any technique in it. It was just, I suddenly had, you know, kind of a lot of faith in this process that if I go up and I can like have something to say now, I can start a conversation. You know, I didn't go anywhere. I didn't take her home. I didn't even get a phone number or anything else. It was a 10 minute conversation. But to us, that was everything because it represented the idea that this was learnable. Like you could actually learn social skills or charisma or being popular, being cool. Like all of us were the dorks in high school. Mm -hmm. So like we never thought that it was possible for us. So that was the exciting part of through all the sadness.
0: Now we've heard some of the tactics, like you neg someone, you know, or, or these ridiculous tactics. Did you learn any of this? Can you recall any Uh, of
1: them? I I learned basically all of them.
0: Okay. Give (laughs) give us top three that you thought were the most ridiculous ones.
1: Well, at the time, nothing was ridiculous. Uh, at the time, you, you were just so bought into the idea that you would try anything. That, and, and you we were so new, too, that uh, we didn't know any difference. Like, it was like you know, teaching someone who, who doesn't know how to walk or doesn't know how to ride a bike the idea of riding that bike. We had nothing to compare to. So we just believed everything. Uh, if we look back on it, though, and we look at what are the most ridiculous ideas, uh, one was that you could hypnotize women, <laughs> Um looking back that was pretty silly. What? Um there was there was an entire industry spawned or really the precursor to what we know now as the industry uh was the idea that dorks could learn to hypnotize women and they would hypnotize them into liking them. How? Wow.
2: How? How?
1: Through through conversational hypnosis, uh neuro-linguistic programming. Uh there is an element of truth to that in the sense that it's not hypnosis, but it's this sense that you can influence people using techniques from marketing, from sales. Uh, uh, marketing okay. we know works. Sales works. And so the idea was let's take that one step further and try to hypnotize people, and uh, it didn't work. Obviously. Okay,
0: so it wasn't like a rock on a string going back and forth. <laughs> <It was getting laughs> if we very, if we could have done sleepy. that, I'm sure we would have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> But no, it was it was um, a lot of embedded commands, embedded patterns, a lot of stuff taken from NLP and tried to apply. If you ever watch Darren Brown on YouTube, yeah. he does amazing things. And so the idea was maybe we could learn that. And it didn't work, but that was one of the ideas. Uh, negs were a big thing, uh, although they were mostly overblown for the media, for TV. Yeah. Um, in the same sense that in the way I look at it is is um, this industry is a lot like feminism and it's a lot like uh, Islam hmm. in that... Feminism and Islam are these ide- ideologies, they're like these cultures, right? What do we think of when we think of feminism? We think, like, woman who, like, hates men and burns bras and doesn't shave her legs and, like, just absolutely hates anything male and she just wants to oppress. Like, that's, why do we think that often? Not always, but why do we, a lot of us, have that stereotype? Because that's the vocal minority, and that's what makes the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, moderate feminism doesn't make the news because it's right. moderate. Same as moderate Islam does not make the news because nobody wants to hear about that. They want to hear about the guy, you know, committing the, the, the jihad and all this other stuff. So we think of Islam as like 99% terrorism when it's probably like half a percent. And so my industry is very much like that in that the things that get the most exposure are the things that are the most outlandish, are the things that are the most controversial, so, but it's not necessarily what's actually happening.
0: When you first started out in this pickup community, you were saying that it's just from extreme loneliness and everyone else in the community kind of felt that. When we think, you know, as an outsider, I think of the pickup community, I just think you're trying to get this one goal, which is to get women to sleep with you. So what do you think the actual issue was for everyone? That underlying issue, was it loneliness? Was it... Just to talk to people, was it to have a support network what What do you think was the one issue?
1: Well, it was everything It really was everything. The loneliness was a symptom uh, and it's a symptom of a bigger problem. that problem is a lack of social skills, often um a lack of uh developmental like 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 mental and emotional uh d- d- development throughout the years so most people in this industry, uh, in, in the media, the most people in the industry is the, kind of like the, like the slick like guy who's trying to take advantage of women. Most guys in this industry are like Asian and Indian guys who have never slept with anyone, and they're just terrified of the idea of touching a girl. That's their stereotypical guy. Um, that's most of the guys here. Uh, and, and so it's, now that doesn't sell, obviously, right? But that's the reality of it. And so um, most of us, whether it was tw- 2003 or 2017, most of us getting into this, uh, had a lot of emotional trauma in our past. We've had very traumatic experiences around women. Um, a lot of us have, uh, are, are, some of us are on the autism spectrum. Um, a lot of us have had like bad upbringing, sometimes abuse. Uh, mm. And so, you know, we're essentially dysfunctional as adults. And we find this because we're dysfunctional. And there are, there you're, there is this sociopath who finds this because he wants to take advantage of people, absolutely. But most people that find this are dysfunctional. And they're dysfunctional because of a lack of training or because of a handicap uh, mental, physical, or otherwise emotional, um, and they're looking to fix this in their life, and, and this seems like an answer to them.
2: Out of curiosity, how expensive is it? Like, is this like a, a costly endeavor?
1: Uh, it can be. It can be. When I started, there there were no costs aside from, you know, clothes and, you know, sh- showing up. It was just an underground support group for uh, for guys to push each other to talk to people, and it was really... It would, if you look on it now, it's looking back on it, it's a group of a dozen guys that would go out to a bar, all be terrified, huddled in a corner, and they would psych each other up to go talk to a girl. And then they go up they'd say hey uh i uh i wanted to get your opinion on something because um my friends were arguing and then she the girl would be like i'm not interested and then he'd walk away and then the guys would pat him on the back and be like it's okay man like we'll do it again mm-hmm. that's really what that was and, and and it's morphed throughout the years but that's what that was
0: it's very similar to sports leagues it's the same thing right you practice yeah. these skills and then you go out there and you you use you win, these yeah. skills and you see if you win or not so it's it's very similar. I can see how the camaraderie is really the selling point because you have all these other people who are in your same boat and you're cheering each other on. And just for shits and giggles, give give us one more really ridiculous tactic that you guys did.
1: One of them was this idea, and it's still, it's still here today. It's this idea of being alpha. And the, the idea of being alpha means that, in and at least according to the, a lot of people in the industry, it means that like you can never show... Uh, any vulnerability, any fear. You always have to, like, pick fights with people. Like, you basically... It's basically, like, be a jackass. You know what I mean? It's like, be a jerk. And it's so far from reality that you you see guys and, you know, an old lady will cross the street, like, get hit by a car, and the guy will look at her and be like, I will not supplicate to women. Like, I will not help any woman because that shows weakness as a man. Like, it's, it's obviously this hugely over-exaggerated idea, but I remember being in those situations and thinking like, oh, this is the right thing. And then kind of coming to my senses later and realizing like, what was I doing? Like, this is not the way I was raised.
0: Right. So being a douchebag.
1: A douchebag without the the actual hooking up with girls part.
0: Right. <laughs> so um, that actually goes back to negging because I think some of our listeners may not actually know what that means. Explain to us what negging is.
1: So so a neg is was uh, short for a neg hit. Uh, and this was something popularized uh, early 2000s uh, the the main idea is this, um, a neg hit or a neg in this case is uh, a way, uh, it's a technique you'd use on someone who's very, very full of themselves. So you're using it on the the quote unquote Hollywood 10, the the, the person who thinks like I'm too good for you, uh, everyone should, should worship at my feet. And it's a way essentially of letting them know you are not a suitor, you are not someone who's chasing them, you are not someone who's affected by their... By their beauty. And so a lot of times it comes off as like slightly passive aggressive or sometimes just awkward. So like the, one of the very stereotypical negs that no one really seems to, to remember, the, the classic one isn't an insult. It's blowing your nose. Hmm? Because who blows their nose in front of a beautiful woman? Nobody. And what it <laughs> conveys is that she doesn't affect you. You're not intimidated by her. Now, the reason this came about is because all of us were extremely intimidated by women, <laughs> all women, especially very attractive ones. So the idea behind the neg was to, to show, even though, you know, there should be some truth behind it, but at least it was to fake it, to show that you were not affected by her. And that somehow it, it went into teasing a little bit. But, uh, you know, what people took with it and ran with it with is the idea of like, oh, you know, you can also insult women and that would that would be a neg too. And it's not, but people would take that and run with it. And to people on the outside, uh, the media especially, that's a great story. Oh, like, yeah. This guy is running around and insulting women. And then to guys listening, they're like, oh, this is great because this is the woman that dissed me in high school. I can now get back at her and she will like me for it. It doesn't work, but they thought it would because that's what was popularized. So you have this, this huge group of people running around in an echo chamber Trying to insult women and then wondering why it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because that's not the point of it.
0: So I want to quickly switch gears now because you are sort of out of the pickup community. Um, I want to talk about your journey to becoming a dating and confidence coach. How did you get here?
1: So uh, I started off as a student, um, and then um, I didn't have any real advantages in the dating in the dating scene. I'm five foot four. I'm the uh, shortest Asian or I'm shortest dating coach in the industry. Um, I, you know. I, not only that, I'm not classically good looking. I didn't have a lot of social advantages. I'm very introverted. I basically had every disadvantage home to man. Um, and, I, and I got through those things. I learned these things and I got better through sheer like force of will, just sheer willpower, just like getting rejected 25 times a night, getting back up and doing it again the next night. Uh, and eventually you pick up patterns over that time. Um, most, I wouldn't, it's not the most efficient way of learning this, but I got through it just through that willpower. And what happened is uh, people in the group started to ask me for advice and say, how did you do this? I want to follow that same methodology. Uh, I wouldn't advise it, but uh, in that particular case, but they wanted to follow that. Um, And then eventually I got hired by another company uh, to teach for them. Uh, So kind of like I developed this like weird name in this group of lonely guys. And uh, so I I got my name out there and then uh, eventually after working for another company for a few years, I went and started my own company. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at that point, we were still very much entrenched in this idea of the industry. Um, Over time, the industry has morphed a lot. It's, It's changed so much throughout the years because... Uh, A lot of it is is through marketing and money. Uh, People realized very quickly that you can make a lot of money scamming people on this. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge influx of scammers that came into the industry, much like I'm sure personal trainers really hate the you know, lose a hundred pounds over hydroxy kind yeah. of thing. Right. They, I'm sure they hate that because it's like, they're like, look, we're just trying to get people in shape and go to the gym and the, nobody wants to do it because they just want to buy this pill. Right.
2: right. Yeah. Well, that's why yeah. I asked you how much it costs. Cause that was like initially where
1: my mind went is Yeah, that
2: costs a lot of men- money because people are willing to pay for it.
1: I it, yeah, it can, if it's, you know, if, if you go and you take training for it, it can. So the training can run, you know, anywhere, I'd say on the low end from a few hundred dollars to thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars, depending on who you train with, also depending on how legitimate that person is. Um, So it can be really expensive if you're looking for a very personalized training. Um, And especially because so few people in the world are good at this and so few people in the world can teach it. It's a really obscure niche. Mm -hmm. So anytime you have that, the, the training for that becomes very expensive.
0: So what are you teaching now, personally?
1: So over the years, the kind of metamorphosis of the industry and especially what we've been teaching, uh, we've been teaching long enough at this point where uh, our teaching and our methodologies have changed because we realize what works for our clientele is not what the industry is about. Um, At this point, the industry is very much about marketing because marketing makes money. Um, The sad thing about my industry and much like a lot of industry is content doesn't make money. Marketing does. Um, quality does not make any money, marketing does, because no one knows the difference in quality. So um, the the people that are creating content are very much incentivized to spend all of their money on marketing and very little on content because the people absorbing the content either won't read it, won't listen to it, or don't know the difference. So instead of spending the money on getting a subject matter expert to, to, to pour his heart and soul into a product... Why not just get some random guy in India to ghostwrite the product based on random stuff he pulled off the internet and then take 99% of that money and throw it into marketing? Ugh, so that's that's kind side. of what it's turned into. Yeah. So it, that's why I said there's a lot of scammers in this and it, and it is, I understand why people see it that way. Yeah. It, we obviously were became very disillusioned with that idea. And uh, in teaching, we teach very much one-on-one and what the individual student or client needs. And what we found over the years is guys don't need lines uh, necessarily. Guys don't need uh, a secret magic formula. Guys don't even really need confidence. Like, yes, they do, but that's not the main thing. What guys need is social skills and life skills. Mm. And that seems like, oh, well, yeah, obviously. But like when you really get into it, one of the first things that I do when I work with a client is I make him take a picture of his wardrobe, his car, and his house. Hmm. And you'd be surprised how many times those pictures come back and he's a hoarder
2: Yeah, Mm. or his
1: house indicates there's some like there's some crazy thing wrong with it. So many things that are just absolute deal breakers without any social skill development whatsoever. Right. Or guys that just their financial lives are a mess because they never learned how to balance their finance or or manage their finances. Um, So many people just don't have basic life skills. And they've gotten by basically just on, oh, I got a good job or something.
0: Well, isn't it funny? Because we always talk about on our podcast is that dating is not in silo. I mean, it should be related and it is affected by every other aspect of your life. So if you're a hoarder at home, you're probably a hoarder when it comes to dating. If you're a mess yeah. at home, you're probably a mess when it comes to dating. So these are all interconnected. And I'm I'm so glad you're bringing this up because there's something to be said about coaching someone, not just on dating, but on life in general. Right. And I think right.
2: the lines, too, like getting to the deeper root of what is the actual social skills that need development opposed to post just the one off quick fixes. Yeah.
0: So, what are the, these common social skills that you've
1: worked on? Um, it's, it's funny because when, when I, when I talk to you guys, you guys are going to look at this and be like, Oh, well, like that's just something I take for granted. But if you're autistic, you don't, you can't take that for granted. So for example, if let's say you guys were to sit next to somebody, uh, say in a bar, right. And maybe it's intentional, maybe it's not. And that person like tenses up and they move a little bit away from you. Okay. We know that that means they're uncomfortable and maybe we got too close and we kind of like keep space. Right. They want
0: to get the fuck out.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, if you're on the autism spectrum, you a lot of times you don't know what that means to, to you, that, that moving away means absolutely nothing to you. You have no idea. Like you don't have the ability to look at those social cues and say, this means that person's uncomfortable. Um, and so if you can't read any of those social cues, just general things we take for granted are incredibly difficult. Uh, it, let's say you're not autistic, right? Or you're not on that spectrum, even for a lot of guys that are just very socially handicapped. Um, our ability, you know, in kind of normal conversation, to um, do free association—in other words, to associate on different topics. So, if I say, you know, um, let's say there's a place in Oakland uh, that has really good Chicago-style pizza, right? But it's not as good as the actual Chicago-style pizza, the deep dish in Chicago. Now, when you hear that, we're automatically thinking, okay, Oakland. Maybe I used to live there. What do I know about that? Oh, Chicago. I love Chicago. Oh, pizza. Oh, maybe I like New York pizza better. So, you're thinking of New York, Chicago, pizza, food, travel, all these things. Imagine you didn't have the ability to associate to any of those topics. Got it. So, when I said that statement, all you can think of is deep dish pizza. And so, your response is, I don't like deep dish pizza.
0: Mm-hmm. And she's
1: like, Why not? I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. What do you like? Sushi. What do you like about it? It's good. Right? Like, what's happening is you don't have any ability to, like, you to, to the make point. any connections. Yeah, like there's there's no ability to make any mental connections there. Uh, and that's a skill. And a lot of people, people that have it take it for granted and people that don't have it are bewildered. Like, how is that possible? Like, how are you able to like just talk and have something to say and not freeze up? Because to them and, and where I was, to me, that just seems like voodoo magic. Like, how is this possible? And then to people that have it, they're like, how is it possible you don't have it? So there's this clear divide. and And so a lot of what we teach is... For the guys that don't have it, this is how you acquire it. This is how you get that skill.
0: My only question though is I'm putting myself in the shoes of someone who says, okay, I need to hone in on my social skills. I'm lacking social skills and I come to you. But when I hear you talk about these basic social skills, I'm going to be in denial because I'm going to think I I have common sense. I can make associations. I don't necessarily have the ability to diagnose myself at that level. I'm mm-hmm. coming to you to say, DJ, tell me how to, what's a good line to say to a woman? What's a good line to say to a stranger? But I don't know that I have these deep-seated social issues. How do you diagnose people?
1: We've been doing this for a while, right? So it's it's very obvious to us when we see it. As soon as we start a conversation uh, with the student, we know kind of what he's working with, like what are the things. Um, what you're describing is, is very much the male ego. Um, and uh, so a lot of guys are very defensive about that. And that's okay. Like I, we understand that um, the guys that you come to us are usually the guys that have gotten to the point where it's so bad. They're like, I don't care about the ego. Um, like it, it doesn't matter. Like I, I have an ego, but it's not as important as fixing this. I've screwed the ego. I need to fix this. It's so bad that they're willing to put aside the ego.
2: Have you ever so- had women come to you or is it just men?
1: Uh, we, yeah, we, we have coached men and women. Uh, women generally don't have nearly the ego guys do. And women tend to be much more social in, in, in general. So um, most of the raw social skills women will have unless there's a disability. So we will work with some women who have disabilities. But a lot of times the trouble women have in dating is, more, is further in. Is, is not necessarily getting the guy but keeping him. Mm. Uh, or understanding how guys work or understanding their thought processes it's more along that lines whereas when we work with guys it's usually essentially a handicap whether it's social physical mental or otherwise
2: yeah that makes total but sense
0: but the people you work with like you said are already open to working with you and they already have diagnosed themselves to some extent what if you know what 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 happens to those people who could really use your help <laughs> but they're not, you know, they don't think they need your help yet. What would you say to them?
1: Um, I'd say wait till it gets really bad and then you'll find me. (laughs) Uh, It's it's essentially that way. Are Um, there tests they
0: can do at home or like ways they can uh, diagnose themselves? uh, Yeah,
1: no, there are absolutely ways you can improve no matter where you are. Um, The thing is you have to be open. And this is why it's so much easier to coach women because women don't have an ego about this. Like, like, they're just like, like, help me, like, uh, tell me ways in which I can improve and I'll do it. Right. Um, men often have an ego, the more kind of traditionally masculine the guy is, the more of an ego he has about this, the more he thinks he's the man, the less he's going to, actually like listen and and so that's the guy at the gym who wants to get really big but doesn't want to listen to the trainer yeah in those cases it's like there's not much I can do right it's like there's that old you know adage in in martial arts that uh, when the student is ready the master will appear right Mm. And it's a similar thing in that when he's ready to make that that change or say hey I want to get better at this I want to improve or I want to fix something whatever then at that point he's ready to accept that advice
0: right so, what are some of your top three tips for people who are struggling with like social interactions?
1: Uh, so, if we take kind of your, um, so it, it varies person to person, right? So, obviously, um, the, the, the one of the weird things about this in particular is that one of the things I always say is advice is only as good as it is applicable. Yeah. Um, so, if you took Michael Jordan basketball and you made you asked him to give me advice as a five foot four basketball player who's not very good. He's gonna most likely tell you because he's not a coach he's gonna tell you what works for him, mm-hmm. and that doesn't necessarily work for me at all, right? So he's gonna say like just close your eyes, you put that shot up, and you just gotta know what'll go in. That's really good for Michael Jordan that's not so good for a guy who does not actually shoot he right. doesn't know the mechanics so if we if we narrow down really the um Uh, a general idea of of our audience. And and if if people listening, if you're in this audience, cool. Uh, If you're not in that audience, just understand it may not apply to you. Um, If our audience is someone who's struggling with dating or someone who wants to improve with dating and they're going through your kind of common uh, difficulties of I run out of things to say, for Mm -hmm. example, right? Um, Or I don't know what to say when I go up. Um, One of the things is understand what you say to start is not nearly as important as what you say after that hmm. as what you say Good in point. your conversation right because you can op- you can start a conversation with almost anything it's what do you do after that like wh- who are you in terms of like how you communicate after that point is much more important than your opening thing because 99% of the time the first thing I say when I talk to a stranger is hello
2: mm-hmm. it's not that
1: complicated it's what you say afterward so right. don't worry so much about that thing in most social environments hello is sufficient In non-social environments, so the grocery store, it's not a particularly social environment. uh, Functional is fine. As in, do you know where this department is? Mm -hmm. Do you know where a Starbucks is? Do you know where the bathroom is? Anything like that. And then, again, this comes back to our ability to associate, right? Let's say you say, hey, do you know where uh, they have, let's say, the butter, right? And she says, oh, I think it's like in the back. And then your mind says, what do I know about that? right mm-hmm. and then maybe what you know about that is i always feel like that's a scam when they put the butter and the bread and the milk in the back because they know i have to walk through the ice cream aisle
0: hilarious and i
1: have yeah. no discipline whatsoever in the ice cream aisle and then she's going to be like oh my god me too and you're like i wish they didn't put the hagen-dazs right in the front i wish they put that way in the back so i can't see it because if i don't it. see it i won't buy it
0: yeah it becomes a conversation over ice cream I and mean, bonding over ice cream a
2: lot of this like i know we're talking about like people without social skills but i think this is applicable to, to like, everyone pretty much everyone to everyone we hear all the time from people especially how difficult it is to strike up conversation nowadays so yep. huge help and also it's helpful for the receiving end too because like, let's
0: say that guy says that to me at a grocery store. I probably would just be like, it's in the back, I right. don't know, in the back and walk away. Yeah. But sure. I should also read these cues of, hey, maybe he really wants I, to open up a conversation right. with me. He might so, not care that much uh, about the
2: butter. The, right. Yeah,
0: exactly. Who cares about butter? You should be eating butter anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely does apply to a lot of people. It's just most people, again, most people they don't believe these are social skills. They believe it's something you're just born with or you're born without. And so most people don't have much of a drive to learn it or to apply it unless it gets to be so bad where you're like, I have to do something. Love it. Mm. Give us one more. Another one is, and and this is, I, I realize this is easier said than done, but the best tool that you have in social interactions is humor. It, it's more effective than looks, more effective than height. It's more effective than anything else you can think of short of being famous. That's about the only thing that compares <laughs> and even then sometimes it works. Right? So the problem with that is humor is really hard to learn as I'm sure anyone's listening is struggling with that is like, yeah, no kidding. Um, humor is a really, really effective tool and it's going to take a few years. If you don't get, if you're not good at it naturally, If you're just not a funny guy or you just don't really like know when it's appropriate to say things or, or you have a trouble like making a joke or whatever that skill set understand. Humor is a skill. And it's gonna take a couple of years or maybe three or four years to learn to really get down. But the reason that's so worth it is your return on investment is for most people 40, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. Because what humor does, humor is one of the most powerful things because it can, humor is the closest thing we have to mind control. Because humor can actually change how people feel against their will. If this is something that that, you know the listeners or or you guys want to get better at, it's one of the first things that you focus on. And it's not telling jokes. It's learning the patterns, the structure of humor, the timing, the pacing. And that can mean go to improv. That can mean go to stand-up comedy. It can mean studying the structures of it. That can mean being around people that are funny. We have a lot of drills and exercises and workshops around that. Uh, but it's learning that that's so important.
0: Yeah. I always say people should go to improv. Totally. Just go to improv classes because it's not about you trying to be funny. It's about you laughing at yourself. And if you can laugh at yourself, you can be funny. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, DJ, what's your relationship dating situation?
1: Uh, I'm in a relationship.
0: Okay. And how long have you been together? Uh, about seven months. Okay. Right. How did you guys meet?
1: Uh, we met on Bumble. All right. It's funny. I feel like such an old man because uh, this is the first time that I've met someone online because traditionally it's always been in person. Um, But I knew I needed to, you know, in teaching, we have to be well versed. We can't just do no one thing. And then the guys come and say, hey, how do I get better at dating and other avenues? And it's like, oh, I have no idea. I've never tried that before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. How did you like kind of feel like on your own, you progressed from, I mean, obviously time is one part of it, but. Was there anything that got you confident enough to
1: finally find that person? Uh, It's a journey like anything else. And and it's very similar to a journey of insecurity in physicality or insecurity in in how you handle yourself, say, in martial arts, right? So you come in and you're bullied and people pick on you and you're not confident and you don't walk, you don't walk like you're confident. And, and everything about you says, I'm picked on, I'm bullied. And the journey takes you, in, in my case, I did martial arts as well. And that, that black belt journey took me 10 years as well. And it's a gradual progression where you start gaining the skills, the confidence, the walk, everything about that. And at the end, the irony is that when you actually come out of that tunnel or you, or you reach the point where you're happy... The irony is that you actually end up not needing to fight. Mm. And it doesn't mean you don't need to date. It just means everyone thinks like, "Oh, like if I have these skills, I'm going to have threesomes every night. I'm going to do all this <laughs> stuff and I'm going to do all It's going to be amazing and I, I'm I'm just never going to settle down because I'm just going to I'm just going to like abuse all these skills that I have. And the irony is just like in fighting, when you have it, you realize that's most of, of what you actually wanted. It's just yeah. a confidence of knowing I can handle myself. Yeah. Like I, I have done it. I've been in the fights. I've I've competed. I've done those things. And I no longer have to go around trying to fight everybody. I know that if I need to do it, if I need to use those skills, they're there. And so that's and that, that's where most people end up if they're on a healthy path.
0: It's almost like, I, I hate saying this, but it's fake it till you make it, right? So the, we have these posture coaches who will say, if you just open up your shoulders and walk into a room, you'll already feel 100 times more confident. So yeah. it's, it's that kind of like, you just gotta own this confidence that you wanna have. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Yeah, the fake it till you make it thing is is uh, is actually the it's one of the core tenets of cognitive behavioral psychology or cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's the idea that not only do you feel that way, but it's a it's a positive feedback loop. Uh, if you are able to fake, say, confidence, people react to you as if you are confident. You start to do the things that confident people do. You start to to feel confident. You start to believe you're that person. Um, it perfectly mirrors how they get civilians to dive on a grenade in three months in Mm. say the military right like how do you get someone to do that you have to make him believe he's no longer a civilian again you have to make him believe now he's a marine and so the, the the path to confidence is this is a very very similar path in that you have to act the part entirely you have to walk the part talk the part act the part live the part and when you do that you start to believe you're the part
0: I had a friend who told me uh, what he does is he has these glasses and he calls them his Superman glasses. Because whenever he puts them on, he feels like he can conquer the world. Mm-hmm. So he's basically trained his mind to think every time he puts on the glasses, he mm-hmm. the world is his oyster. He can do whatever. Interesting. Cool. Well, this has been really Amazing. eye-opening, yeah. DJ. If people want to get a hold of you, how should they go about doing that?
1: uh on any social media the web face facebook twitter um on uh facebook i am uh darren dj fuji um or you guys can look me up on the web uh that's dowdjfuji.com com. so that's t a o o f d j f u j i dot com and you'll go to my website um i'm pretty uh, active on facebook uh somewhat on twitter um so those are also ways to get a hold of me
0: and you i know you live in l a but you do come up to the bay area every every so often right
1: yeah, we teach uh, We teach primarily out of L.A., but we do some traveling here and there. So um, we'll go to different cities and, and teach and, and hold workshops there. Awesome.
0: Maybe we'll have you up here for a workshop coming yeah, up.
2: Yeah, or one of our events. One <laughs> of our events.
1: Yeah, definitely. That would be awesome.
0: Sweet. Well, thank you so much, DJ, for taking the time to talk to us. This was really, really fun. And I'm going to go to a grocery store. And ask where the butter. Is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? Absolutely.
0: And if you're listening to this and you want to get a hold of DJ, you you heard all the different ways you can get a hold of him. We'll
2: but link to him. You too. can, yeah.
0: And you can also go through us. We'd love to make that connection for you. And you know, if you have your own dating stories and tactics you want to share, reach out to us. We want to have you as a guest on our show. We love having, you know, all sorts of different perspectives. So reach out to us. Last but not least, stay, stay dateable. date-able. Your action item for this week is to make a list of your social weaknesses and figure out a plan to tackle these weaknesses. We have so many resources at our fingertips, it would be a shame not to take advantage of everything that's available to us to improve ourselves. We wanna give a huge datable shout out to Nick, who has been helping us with sound. Thank you so much for your generosity, your kindness, and your technical skills to make all of us sound better on air. Thank you again, Nick. If you didn't know already, in our off-season, we launched a premium series called The Why Series, where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We've had some great feedback on how actionable these episodes are, so check it out on our website under the tab Why Series. Or you can now buy directly from iTunes Music. Another exciting announcement is that we revamped our website. We now have written stories from past guests and writers, And we have playlists to organize episodes by topics. These playlists can also be found on SoundCloud. So check out all the content we now have on datablepodcast.com. The most efficient way to meet new people is a combination of online and offline. 500 Brunches has your offline covered. Connect over brunch with new friends. Come alone or bring a buddy. There's always a table full of friendly faces, mimosas, and eggs Benedict. Sign up at 500 brunchescom and use the code DATEABLE for a free entry. To connect with us, visit DateablePodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all under Dateable Podcast.